Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to our business legal podcast where we cover business in the news and also answer some of your business legal questions that you, the listener, can send in to ask at LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. And my name is Nasser Pasha. And my name is Matt Staub. And that sounded like you were just reading a script right there almost. That was so fast. And it's like a discla- disclaimer at the end of commercials and things like that. Well, I wanted to rush through it because we have a guest today. So how to get through it fast. Yeah, we did have guests for a few weeks and getting back into a second week in a row, we have a guest. And today we have Anita Ron with Brightworks. Welcome to the show, Anita. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be able to let you know a little bit of insight about the small business world. Sure. And you know, Anita has been somebody that we've been looking for for a while. And we've been looking for a business owner that she's a women-owned business and it has certain certifications for that. So we definitely want to touch that. And then also in California, we just had a minimum wage increase back in, was it June or July? I think July 1st it was. Yeah, July. And so we wanted to talk to somebody that has been affected by that minimum wage increase. And so what's the idiom, two birds with one stone? I'm so terrible with that. Yeah, Yeah, you're terrible with those, but it's fine. (laughs) Well, anyway, so Anita... First, please let us know kind of a little bit about what you guys do and how maybe the women-owned certifications that you've gone through, how that's kind of helped your business out. Well, I started a company about 18 years ago, which is called Brightworks, Inc. We started the company with $700, three vacuum cleaners, and a lot of determination not to fail. Fast forward now, we are at 70 employees, and we're right in that situation where we're over 50 employees, and now we're going to have to provide the health coverage, and that's kind of like a big hurdle that we're going to have to go through, but we provide high-end quality janitorial services for commercial, industrial, and government organizations throughout the Southern California area, and we're hoping to extend that in 2015 into other areas and regions. Very cool. So, Anita, we actually get this question a lot when people call into us and they ask, they've kind of looked into, not the podcast, I'm talking more. Yeah, I was going to say, we don't have live call-ins. Because we've written a couple things about certifications for women-owned businesses and they can read through it and see the process that you have to go through. But the question that usually comes up at some point is, is this worth it and how is it going to benefit my business? So we're hoping if you had some insight on just how exactly your business has been affected once you've gotten that women-owned small business certification. Well, one of the things is if you qualify for business small certification, if you qualify for being a woman-owned business, or if you're a minority-owned business, then you have some opportunities out there because, as you know, the government is trying to assist other individuals to go up on the scale as far as being able to be successful in their businesses or what they're trying to start up and provide jobs in our communities. And so there is some certification. One is for women. And it is an extensive process. You actually should be in business for about three years because you'll have to provide your tax returns, letting them know that you've been in business and you're a solid company, and this is what you've been making for the last three years. So then there is a profile on you, the business, and files about your organization and yourself. Then there's also the certification for 8-8. is a government SBA program that actually it is there to help minority businesses. And you need to own 51% of the business. So they're looking for someone that is honestly a minority and is not saying they are and they're really not. And what that does, it gives you a little bit of real leverage to be able to compete in the government world to acquire businesses 
that they offer with GSA and other entities of the government. And what you're doing is being able to get an opportunity not to be bidding with other large conglomerates. And not only that, not bidding like 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 other companies. They actually narrow down the margins that you're able to bid with just a couple of organizations that are minority-owned or they're considered set-asides that they're willing to give it to a small minority business. So the competitive level is a little different, and it's actually put there in order to help some of these small businesses actually get off the ground. And it's a program that's there for nine years. And once you're in the program and you've been in the program, after the nine years you've turned out, and then the certification is not there and you don't have those opportunities that you had. But it's a whole coaching and learning process that they give you. They try to get you and they try to develop your organization so you can understand doing business to business and business with the government. Yeah, the SBA is very good about that and getting involved. And we should mention that when Anita says 51% owned, it's also controlled and managed. So, you know, you can't just put, you know, so to speak, your wife as 51% owner and the husband's the actual one running the business. It's actually controlled and managed genuinely, like she says, owned and managed by a minority. And this is for the Section 8A uh, program and so forth. And you notice that, I assume, Anita, the reason why you've been able to take advantage of this because you're looking for contracts that are with companies that actually get benefits from the federal government because otherwise there wouldn't be any kind of connection to that or you're contracting directly with the government themselves. Well, the government entity is something different when it comes to 8A certification. And with that, I want to say if you do apply for it, it is an extensive process. I did it, and it took me about three months. But there are consultants out there that would be willing to charge you a good $1,200 just to get that certification that they'll help you through it. You could do it yourself, but one of the things I want you to know is that they do check up on you. They do look for all the documentation. They want to know that you are who you are, and if you are not that person, you will not get on that program. So be honest, let them know all the information because you could actually get other assistance through SBA and one of the things is training. Now with supplier diversity, and I know you've probably heard about that supplier diversity, a lot of the corporations now are required to at least go and search down and try to give business to minority-owned businesses. And so what you're hearing is a lot of people are signing up to meet that supplier diverse representative and seeing if they could get business from corporations. And that's another way that you could try to grow your organization if you are a minority or woman-owned. That way you're able to at least give yourself a little bit of leverage in the playing field. But it does not mean that they're just going to give you the contract. And let me repeat that because a lot of people get the certification and they feel that they're just going to get it handed to them. No way. Nobody gets anything handed. You really still have to work for it. You still need to make those contacts, and you still need to be committed to give a good quality bid or proposal and a good dollar amount there on your bid. That way, you can make sure that that door opens up and you can actually get a contract of some sort. And just because the first time you did it, you didn't get it, keep on doing it because what you're doing is sharpening your fall in your organization to get better every time you do it. And a lot of people get frustrated. And they do one because a lot of these times these proposals are very extensively, they're very intense. I mean, I know a business owner that said when she did a proposal for the government, it usually costs her $10,000 each time they do it. And that's pretty expensive for a small business. I mean, that's something that a lot of people can't absorb. But what I'm saying is collect stuff. You did one proposal, hold on to it, and then later use it for the next one because the 
better you are in your proposals, the more detailed you are, the more descriptive, the more you're able to get the angle that they're looking for and what they want, that's how you're going to get it. And sometimes it's not the lowest bid number. Sometimes it's the provided services that you're going to give them for the amount that you're charging them. So it's a whole different ballgame in some sort. But yet there's many people that can now be in the playing field, which is much more exciting. Yeah, and that's great advice for those that are looking in the same kind of area of getting certified. And we should mention there are different certifications. There's WBE, there's you know Section 8A for SBA and so forth. But let's talk about the July 1st minimum wage increase. It went up to $9 an hour, and then it's going up to 10 on, is it January 1st, 2016, I believe? Mm-hmm. And that's California. And then, of course, from a political perspective, there's a lot of talk about getting a national minimum wage increase as well, which will likely not affect California because of its advancement already. And then, of course, we also have local cities that are thinking about doing it everywhere from San Francisco, which has already done that, to San Diego, Los Angeles, et cetera. So with your business, how has it been affected by the minimum wage increase already? Well, for us, there was a good significant amount of people that were working for us that they did get an increase. One of the things I think small businesses are finding out, perhaps somebody was getting $12 an hour to do that job, and now the person that is getting minimum is now at nine. Well, now they feel that you should increase them as well. So there's a little bit of pressure right there, and people are a little bit frustrated because they would like to have their salaries increased as well. But for us, I remember that one of the times prior to the minimum increase, uh, I think it was, what was the last time, in 2007, 2006? I don't remember the year. Yeah, but because there. of that increase, it was a very hard time for us because a lot of companies thought, well, we can't afford this anymore. And so the first thing, the first company that they let go was the janitorial service. So at that time, we had lost about 11 of our clients just because there was an increase of that sort. Wow. This time, it seemed like we were able to retain all our clients, which was a great blessing because we were able to provide that quality service and them knowing that this was something that really was needed in order to help their business grow as well. Because a small business really needs to concentrate on the business and not in the business cleaning the restroom toilets. You know, I hate to say that, but that's what it is. So by us doing that, they're able to concentrate what's more important, bringing in dollars, bringing in the quality of service that they need, or sending out the quality product that they have to do without worrying about how clean their own facility is and how their customers are going to project on them. But as far as the minimum wage, what happened, and I think it's happening all over, now that you're seeing this increase, and maybe it is needed, but so many immediately right back to back, I think is probably the biggest hurdle because you're still trying to get a, with the 2014 increase and then all of a sudden a year and a half later, now you're going to be doing it again. And I think it's not giving us the opportunity to actually balance things and soften things up for our organization. Because as you're aware of, there's other increases that are happening. One of the increases is now healthcare. If you're over 50 employees, you're going to be stuck with that. Another additional yep. is uh, workers' comp seems constantly escalating. And the last time I read the business journal, it was stating that there's a projected increase in workers' comp for everybody all across the board. So with all these other additional increases, you know, it's hard for a small business to actually project properly and then later to feel that they're comfortably doing well. When you're dealing with a service organization such as ours or any food, restaurant, or anything like that, they have low margins. And so we have to remember that. With service organizations, we're on a low margin already. So to put something like this in is going to be a huge burden. And I'm hoping, I'm actually praying that our government agencies actually give some type of tax rebate or something that will help some of our small businesses through the process 
I've heard that there are going to be some type of rebates or, you know, credits that could help them out. But I'm hoping that it also will help some of these service organizations, such as ours, such as the restaurant industry. And one of the things that people don't realize is we increase the minimum wage, guess what happens? Everything around us is now going to be increased. So now if you're going in there and paying 2 or $3 for a burger, well, guess what? You just increased it a couple more dollars. Now it will be about 5 or $6. So that's the scary thing about everything, and I think there needs to be some type of balance, and we just can't do leaps and bounds. Now when it comes into having different cities with different minimum wage, that just means that as a business owner, we're definitely going to have to do our homework, and it will be very sad to say that if you went into Orange County and you were able to pay for a McDonald's burger at this price, and now you go into Los Angeles County, and you're going to be paying 3 or $4 more. It's going to be something interesting to see, but I would say, like, as consumers and as business owners, we really need to keep our eyes open, and we really need to talk to our leaders out there and letting them know how we feel or getting our questions answered. Well, how is this going to happen, and what should we be expecting? And what are the best ways for us to be able to soften the blow? And sure. those answers are not here yet. Very good. That's a very uh, interesting perspective from you regarding that. I haven't heard anything about that rebate, but it just seems such wishful thinking knowing how the well, California... Well, like tax credits. Tax okay. credits. And you keep on hearing them saying, you're going to get a tax credit. So you're not going to be getting charged here, but you're going to get charged here, but we're going to help you out somewhere down here. So those are the things that I've heard that will happen, but yet it's not in place, just like the health care coverages and things like that. A lot no. of the stuff you hear, but then it gets changed in eight months. So it's kind of scary. Okay, I'm going to learn this, and then I'm ready for it, and then all of a sudden it changed a little bit. So I think we're still in that change process. And one of the things that I think as business owners, we really need to be on top of what's happening in Sacramento. For example, I went to an event yesterday, and I was telling another business owner, hey, so how's that? Three-day sick day, is that going to end your business? You know, because no. you already have 30 employees. Should have, oh, when did that happen? That's a good thing that you brought up. Did you already have that policy? Because we found that a lot of the businesses of substantial size already have some kind of sick policy. So the California sick pay law, did it affect you? Not everybody has that policy. Now, think about it. You're sure. a small business. You're in service. You're actually charging an organization for the service. You can't just go back to that organization and say, hey, you know what, now if my employee doesn't work today, you're going to have to cover that cap. You think no. a small business is going to be happy with you on that? Absolutely oh, course, not. Yeah. They're going to say, no way. But what I'm really concerned with, a lot of our small businesses don't even realize. I've already talked about three or four of them. They didn't even realize that law was affected July 1st, 2015. And, you know, one of the things I want to say out there, for any small business or anybody who's thinking of being a business, please educate yourself. There are so many organizations that are out there that want you to succeed. One of them is SBA. Take advantage of it. It is absolutely free. Find out. Go to some seminars, conferences. Find out these rules and regulations because you know what? There's one thing that you're doing it and trying to work really hard in your business and you're in the trenches and you're rolling up your sleeves and you're getting up early in the morning and you're going to sleep late at night. But then I have to find out that it's all taken away because you didn't know something. I mean, I was just talking to someone else yesterday. And I said, oh, so do you have EPLI insurance? And she says, no. I said, what? You don't have EPLI insurance? And you're over the million mark? She said, I didn't even know about it. And I said, you know what? If you're already over that level in sales and revenue, annual sales, you need to do something about it. Protect yourself. You need to protect yourself as much as you're protecting your property. 
with liability insurance. You've got to start waking up. You've got to start reading. You've got to know what is coming down the pipeline. Anita, you basically covered all the topics that we've covered in the last six months <laughs> in a very succinct fashion. Yeah, we love it. You're preaching our previous episodes, so it's great. I really appreciate that insight. We have barely enough time for our question. Let's get it in, Matt. All right. I allow my employees to bring their own device, BYOD, for their jobs. What should be my biggest concerns or should I scrap the idea altogether? It's funny that they ask that as an acronym as if it's common use. I still don't think it's to that point yet. But yeah, bring your own device. You know, we're talking about cell phones, laptops, and so forth. But there can be some issues with that, whether you're dealing with privacy you know, all the privacy laws that go along with using cell phones and so forth. But then also think about security. Also, if they're answering their cell phones off of duty, and there was just a case not too long in California, which talked about even if the employee is using their own cell phone, but an unlimited plan, the employer still may have to reimburse a percentage of the use of that phone if they're being used in a work capacity. So there's a lot of issues. I don't think we have a lot of time to go into detail about that. But Anita, what what are your thoughts? Do you allow your employees to bring in their own devices or is that not just part of the job from your perspective? I allow my employees to bring their own devices because you know what? They're at work more than they're at home. So they need to be comfortable where they're at. So as a mom, I think it's important to be able to be connected to the family still. So in that sense, most employees are finding themselves actually compensating a portion of the use of their device because some people feel very much more comfortable using one phone than having two phones on them. So you're absolutely right about the laws and what needs to be done. I think if you do let your employees, there's privacy laws there and you just need to make sure you're following them because there are now rules and regulations and you just hit on. So you're absolutely right with that. But I think everybody's to their own, but most of the businesses are letting them use them. But there are some restrictions, but it is stated in advance. So then they're aware of it and they're not just being in a privacy issue. You can't tell them I want to see your Facebook page. That's privacy for them. Yeah. And you have to respect that. It's funny that you mentioned the two cell phone thing. I remember it used to be very common for people to literally have their BlackBerry issued by their work and then their personal cell phone and how ridiculous that all was. But you're right. And being responsive to your employees, being able to have access to their personal devices on the job is, I think, very important in that respect. There's one thing I just want to say. You know, you just hope and pray that you've actually did the right job in the interview process, that you've found quality individuals that respect your organization and believe in what your mission is. And by doing that, in hopes you have the best people for that job. And usually when you have the best people for the job, they're working diligently because they love to do that and that's what they want to do. So in respect to that, for our workers out there that are always in the trenches every single day, 99% of them want to do the best job ever. And so they understand the fact about phone usage and things like that. Now, some of our newer young folk that come in, they don't see that and they don't feel that if they're on the phone when someone's talking to them, that that's not professional. I think it's more of a coaching thing that we have to teach them so they're ready for the working field of tomorrow, that they're ready for that. And some of them come in and they're on their phone. And I'd hate to see if one of them comes in on the phone when they're in an interview, you know, they're not going to get that job. So I think they need to learn a little bit and maybe they needed some coaching on that. Very good. Again, preaching our mantra. So I, that's really awesome. 
So Anita, why don't you tell us a little bit about Brightworks and where people can contact you if they have any more follow-up questions from your insight, which is very valuable. With Brightworks, like I said, we're commercial janitorial services. So we provide janitorial service for organizations, commercial, industrial. We believe in that high quality of cleaning. And we believe in high standards. So we go out there, check up, and make sure that everything that we ask that you provided or requested in your unique need of cleaning, we can actually do it and make sure we're above that standard. So you guys are always taken care of. Uh, as far as small business, been in business for 18 years. And if you need to contact me, have a question, I'd love to be able to help you out. And that's one thing. We have to share knowledge because that's the only way we're going to help our communities grow. And I feel small business can actually help a whole entire community, lift up a whole entire community. So if you want to talk to me, you can reach me at anitaron at brightworks.com. And that's anitaron, A-N-I-T-A-R-O-N at B-R-I-T-E-W-O-R-K-S dot com. Or you could reach us on the phone, 626-337-0099. We're located in Covina, California, and one of my commitments, it has been, because I started the doors with actually nothing. I started it when I had a six-year-old daughter and a six-month-old son, and one of the reasons why I started the business, because I got tired of going to work when it was dark and coming back and bringing my kids back home when it was dark. And I just feel if anybody's in that position where they want to start a business, please feel free, take me out for coffee. I've always made that commitment. When someone's out there asking questions about business, I'm really happy to assist them because that's the only way we're going to help get jobs out there in our community. So, Anita Ron, and you could take a look at us at www.brightworks.com. Absolutely. And we'll also plug that in our show notes as well. Thank you so much for being on the program. Can I say one thing before I leave? Sure. I want to say thank you to you guys because you guys are really at the cutting edge letting people know out there how important it is to know some of the rules and regulations and how important it is to take care and make sure that you know what's going on so then you can equip yourself properly. So if you said that you've already talked about a lot of these things prior to me talking to you, thumbs up on that and continue doing that because small businesses really need your assistance and really need people to really go above the norm and help out and make sure that we're actually being educated because that's what it's all about, making sure that we're able to grow our communities and jobs out there and have that knowledge out there. So thank you very much for doing your job. Thank you so much for those kind words. Well, yeah, we'll definitely put that information on our show notes. Again, appreciate you having on the program. Very awesome insight, actually. I think people are going to re-listen to this a couple of times just to make sure they get all of that. If you have any questions or want to talk to me later on another subject, I'll be more than happy to help you guys out. You guys take care. Thank you so much for being on the program. Great. Thank you. Yep. All right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Keep it sound and keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. 
The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.